I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. I'm taking the taboos of menopause and perimenopause and bringing light to the dark. No bullshit, no shame. It's time for us to gain a new paradigm in female health, out with the old and in with the new, and I'm bringing fresh perspectives from someone in the arena. I've been practicing women's health for nearly 20 years, and I'm spilling the tea and what it means to live at midlife, knowing that the best is yet to come. I'm sharing my Gen X approach to living through this transition, sassy, a bit sweary, and always honest. Tactical tips and instantly usable information is my aim. I hope to make you laugh and that you learn something new that helps you embrace the change. Together, we bring power to the Perry. Onward to the podcast. Hello, hello, listeners. I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I have a super juicy interview that I'm sharing with you today with the Karen Martell. Love her, fellow Canadian gal. I love it. Um, But before I share any information on Karen and the conversation that she and I recently had, I wanted to tell you there's something really big coming from the uh, Not Your Mother's Menopause world, and I'll have more information about it on the next episode um, when I've got all the details fleshed out. But in the meantime, If you want to be the first to hear the news, uh, please go to my website, which is drlovely.com. And at the top of the page, right next to my smiling face, is a place where you can leave your email address. And that's where we will be sending out the news letter once it's ready to go. Uh, Trust me when I say that I get a lot of emails. And so when I do send you things, I'm very, very mindful about it being useful and not just more words. I just think we need to get really clear on who we want to hear from and what things we want to listen to. To me, I consider the inputs as part of my diet. So anyways, I will not pepper you with silly things. Um, I will share only useful things just as I endeavor to do here on the podcast. So super juicy and exciting things coming. Uh, Certainly be listening to the next episode where I'll talk about it more, but also uh, sign up for the newsletter, which is drlovely.com. And right at the top of the page, there's a place where you can enter your email address and that comes right to me. Okay, let's talk about Karen Martell. Oh, we had such a good conversation. Uh, Before I talk about the conversation a little bit, I thought I'd share her bio just to give sort of set the set the tone for this uh, for this chat. So Karen Martell is a certified hormone specialist and transformational nutrition coach. She stands as a distinguished authority in the realms of women's weight loss and hormonal health. As the esteemed host of the highly acclaimed Women's Health Podcast, the Hormone Solution Podcast, Karen delves deeply into the intricacies of female fat loss and the complex world of hormones arming women with the knowledge they require to seize control of their well-being. Karen's unwavering passion shines brightest in her commitment to supporting women through the perimenopause and postmenopause phases. She excels in guiding women through the intricacies of bioidentical hormone therapy and holistic health. 
So Karen, what, Karen and I recently had this chat and um, I asked her to come uh, on the on the show and talk about uh, essentially weight loss resistance at midlife. And like, seriously, raise your hand, ladies, if that's you. It's me too. So what can we learn about it from an expert like Karen Martell? And what tidbits does she have to share with us to help us with this very real, very common concern of women in the perimenopause and menopause years. So when she and I chatted, we talked about the weight loss resistance. We talked about peptides. We talked about why hormonal fluctuations cause weight gain. Um, we talked about the GLP-1 agonist medications. That's the Ozempic and Monjaro, et cetera. And I thought, I thought it was a really enlightening bit of conversation. So uh, don't, um, come in with any preconceived notions on that. Let's just see where that, keep your mind open and listen to what Karen and I talk about, uh, there. And, you know, she talks about the whole, this is not just a calorie in calorie out thing, but for a lot of us, we were taught that early. Um, and it has stuck with us no matter how much education we have around it. Uh, you know, we, we can still get caught up in that. And she is able to see that in her clients and help with that. And I thought she had some great insights. Anyways, um, fantastic conversation. We did also talk about whether or not it's possible to reverse or prevent menopause. That was an interesting little tidbit too. So I hope that you get as much out of this conversation as I did listening to Karen. She's highly uh, intelligent around the issues for women at menopause and perimenopause. And I left with a whole bunch of new tactical tools. So I hope you enjoy it. And thank you for tuning in. Until next time, don't forget to go sign up on the website. I'm telling you, you'll want to hear this. Take care. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it every day in the morning to break my fast. It makes me feel like I'm doing something good for my body, that I'm covering my nutritional bases. This simple daily habit allows me to cover those nutritional bases no matter what the day brings. Oh my gosh, because we never know what the day is going to bring. AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health, replacing your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. That's drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. You can find the link in the show notes. Check it out. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely, and I'm thrilled to have a friend with me today, Karen Martell, a fellow Canadian. Karen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here because <laughs> I know that you and I could just talk and talk and talk. We have so much in common. It's true. <laughs> and it's... we're on the same mission. Yes, absolutely. So tell me, what would you call your mission? How would you say it? How would you put it? My mission is to educate women 
that they do not have to suffer in perimenopause and menopause and that there is a solution. Amen, sister. (laughs) Enough with the suffering. Simple. (laughs) Yeah. Enough with the suffering. Like, why have we made it okay to get to this point in our lives and suffer? That's a problem. Enough. And it's like, I feel like there's like this underlying like sexist issue with it where it's like, you know, men are not, they're not suffering and there's these... I guess it's male and female medical physicians that are not giving the right information to women that are going through this time. And it's all like, well, you know, I can't tell you how many times a day I hear from clients that say, oh, my, my doctor said that if this, this week's was, I asked my doctor if I could switch to the estrogen patch and testosterone injections. And he said, no, he will not prescribe those to me if that's what I want, because both of them are derived from Premarin. What? Wow. <laughs> to be educated because that I'd is so far from the truth. I'd say, wow. But this uh, is like every week I hear from, from clients that are like, oh, my doctor said that if, I, if he won't prescribe me estrogen because it'll give me breast cancer, but he offered me birth control pills. And like just ridiculous. Just so we're clear for the listener, the birth control pill has hormones in it at a much higher level than we give women when we're giving hormones as HRT. Yes. And they're not bioidentical. They're chemicals. And they're actually stated as endocrine disruptors, which means disrupt your hormones, which is terrible. And that has the risk of developing breast cancer, not estrogen replacement. Absolutely. 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 And of course, you will have read Estrogen Matters like everybody else that's doing this work. It's such an important book for all of us. And if you're not sure how to talk to your doctor about hormones, please pick up the book by Avram Blooming and Carol Tavris called Estrogen Matters. It does break down the research that shows the safety of hormone therapy for those of us in midlife. Yeah, and that lady that you had on your podcast last November about breast cancer was brilliant. Oh, I, was I, I sat in my car in the grocery store parking lot, like jaw dropping. Yes. This is so good. So Nona. good. So we're talking, thank you. So we're talking about Dr. Jen Simmons. Yeah? Yes. yes. She's coming back so. at the end of this month. Yes, yes I have to have her on my podcast. I'm like, I have to get this woman on my podcast. She's, She's brilliant. brilliant. Yes, yeah. please do. Please do. I can introduce you if you'd like me to. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we're talking about Dr. Jen Simmons, who, of course, is just a genius when it comes to these things. But I know when I was doing that interview, Karen, I had my mouth open the whole time. Like, you don't hear me very much because I literally was in shock. I was like, girlfriend is spilling the tea. I love it. Right? Yeah. I love love it it. too. Yeah. So good. So good. So how did you find yourself helping women in hormonal flux? How did you get here? Well, it started after actually, like if I go way back and it would have started after I had my first child at 31, I had my daughter. And after I stopped breastfeeding, I had lost all my baby weight, felt great, stopped breastfeeding. And then suddenly it was like the lights got shut off and 
like literally overnight, I had all these health problems. One of them being rapid weight gain for doing nothing. Like I hadn't changed my diet. I hadn't changed my exercise routine. I was always a good eater. You know, I wasn't um, like, you know, eating McDonald's and, you know, I, I was a good eater for what I mm-hmm. thought I was, you know, mm-hmm. looking back, I probably wasn't. I was doing like, oh, whole wheat bread and whole wheat spaghetti. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, they, yeah, but you know, that's what we knew how to favor, do. But probably yeah. definitely eating too many carbs, but doesn't matter. I still mm-hmm. gained rapid weight for no reason. Mm-hmm. Tell me about, I mean, yeah. at the time, this is what we knew. We knew low fat. Yes. We knew whole wheat yep. bread. Yep. 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 My mom was like the queen of low fat, high carb diets. So I probably wasn't eating great for my body type. Now I know better, but um, it didn't, it didn't matter because I was still like, there was, I hadn't changed anything. And on top of that, I was getting severe menstrual migraines suddenly where I would have a migraine for like seven days straight. I had really bad digestive issues. I was breaking out in hives on my body. And then I developed chronic insomnia where I could not sleep. And I was the mother of a toddler at the time. And so I, it just, it was like the, one of the worst times in my life. And so I did what every woman does. And I was like, okay, well, I need to diet. I need to count calories. And I need to start going to the gym like super hard all the time. So I joined like a CrossFit type gym. I was working out five days a week harder than I'd ever worked out before. I was counting my calories. I tried every freaking diet under the sun at the time. Like I went, I started detoxing, started juicing. Then I went to the zone. Then I was vegetarian. (laughs) Atkins, like I went from one extreme to the next working out super hard and I just got fatter and fatter and fatter until I was at the heaviest point I'd ever been in my life. And I was just at my wit's end. I went to the doctor. She gave me a sleeping pill and an antidepressant and sent me on my way. And then I was like, what am I to do? Like no one, no doctor would have told me then maybe it's your hormones because I was 33. Yeah. But I decided I have to figure this out for myself. I knew that it was hormonal. I'd had a history of lots of different hormonal stuff happen to me. I had lots of ovarian cysts. I had endometriosis, you know, and so I was like, okay, I think this is hormonal. So I went to a naturopath who was a friend of mine. I was like, could you test my hormones for me? And he's like, sure. So I did a saliva hormone test. Mm -hmm. It came back that Sure enough, I had high estrogen, no progesterone, really high cortisol, low DHEA. Like I was a complete mess. Later found out that my thyroid was completely tanked, which was triggered by the pregnancy, which is a very common thing to happen. So it was just like this perfect storm of hormonal dysfunction that caused this like break in my system. And so I was, went on a mission to figure this out and find the diet for me. And my, my naturopath at that time said, try a ketogenic diet. He's like, I was just at, and this is so long, no one had heard of keto in Canada at this point, right. hardly even in the States, but he had gone to a conference, an anti-aging conference, and they had talked about the ketogenic diet. And I was like, oh, what's that? You know. So I went home and I started Googling it and found actually the paleo diet and information about that. And I switched over and did the, started eating a paleo-based diet, which completely shifted how I felt my blood sugar got really stable. I was always the girl that would pack like the granola bar in this purse because my blood sugar would crash and God forbid I had no food on hand. 
So that, it really helped and it changed my body's, like how it looked. I didn't lose weight, but it changed how I looked and how I felt and the digestive issues got immensely better. And so I was really pleased. I feel like I had found my diet and I'm still eating paleo to this day, like, you know, 16 years Mm -hmm. later. Anyways, I then went on a mission to figure out my hormones because I didn't think I was a stressed out person, but yet I was a single mother of a toddler without very, with very little help from the father, you know, running my own business. I was doing body work at the time. You know, I had no help from parents or community. Like I was alone and I was stressed and no wonder my body just, my system broke like that. And I had to look at my life differently and decide like, okay, what do I need to emotionally deal with spiritually, physically? And I took this really holistic approach to the hormone issues and to my life. And it wasn't a quick fix. (laughs) It was like probably took about a year before the weight even started to come off. Mm -hmm. And then another year for it to like everything to kind of go back to normal. And then I was able to maintain a nice healthy weight for a good 10 years and felt good. And I discovered the thyroid problem and was properly medicated and was like, okay, this is good. And I came out of that experience going, I can't be the only woman. I can't be the only woman that was doing it all right, exercising, eating, doing what the world tells you to do to lose weight and not able to lose. Honestly, Fiona, I could, I did drop my calories at some points to like less than a thousand calories a day and I did not lose weight. So the whole calorie in, calorie out is, is such bullshit. Bullshit. Yes, it is. And it, was made, and it made me so mad. I was like... Yeah. This is what we're being told that yeah. it all comes down to calorie in, calorie out. And even to this day, with all the information now that's out there on weight loss, mm-hmm. women still, yeah. even if it's just kind of in the back of their head, yeah. they still believe it's calorie in, calorie out. And for sure, if you eat in excess, yes, you're going to gain weight, of course. Mm-hmm. However, it doesn't all come down to that. And we are in an epidemic right now of weight loss resistance in women that is being driven by hormones. So whether it's excess or deficiency, it is widespread. And I can't tell you how many women come to me going, I heard you and that that's me. That's my story. I can't lose weight. I work out. I prioritize protein. I do intermittent fasting. I do this. I do this. I do this. I count my calories to the T. I, I measure my food. I can't lose weight. And it's like, yeah, because it's your hormones. Something's going on with the hormones. Almost always, like 95% of the time, it's hormonal. The hormones. What's driving the hormones? We don't know. Sometimes it's menopause. Sometimes it's other stuff. Yes, of course. And of course, stress plays a huge factor here. But when it comes to this hormones causing uh, weight loss resistance or weight gain, however you would choose to say it, tell us more. Mm -hmm. Because then it happened again. Okay. And this was, it was a couple years after I had my son. So same kind of thing. My son came seven years after my daughter. And then I got into my forties and. All hell broke loose. Isn't that what happened? Exactly. It's always (laughs) at 40. Like even my doctor said that to me. I was like, I feel like everything just changed. (laughs) She's like, yeah, I wish somebody had told me that when I hit 40. She's like, because it does. It's like overnight. You're like, oh wait, something's wrong here. Yeah, And same thing started happening where the weight gain started to pile on and then it went really quickly, started piling on. And I started going into menopause at 42, 
where my period was going missing. I gained 10 pounds in a month. I was hot flashing like crazy, night sweats. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, not <laughs> yeah. again? Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, it just shows, I feel like, like everybody listening, it shows that you could, I, at that time I had become a nutritionist. I was specifically dealing with weight loss resistance in women. Mm-hmm. I had coached a whole bunch of women. I had found the paleo diet. I was doing great. I had maintained a solid weight for 10 years without counting calories, nothing. And felt awesome. Like I was on top of the world. Like if I could show you the before and after picture of that year of when I started, it's actually on my YouTube video. I just did it for a talk down in Ga- at the Gaia Sphere where I show my before and after picture, which was like very brave of me because I was I'm like, sure. Oh, and I'm like, it's me and my, my bra, almost 20 pounds heavier. And it was just like, oh my God, and here I am, wow. the weight loss coach, the nutritionist, though, you know, and at that time I wasn't a hormone specialist yet, but it, I was still very knowledgeable with the hormones. So there I was with all this knowledge and all this know-how and it still happened to me. And so I just, I I so want women to hear that because I think a lot of the time they blame themselves. And I've had women be like, well, you know, Karen, I I do eat some chocolate. I do. I do. I eat some chocolate once a week. And I'm like, you should be allowed to eat chocolate once a week and not gain weight. (laughs) They beat themselves up for it. Yes. Well, because we were taught that so I mean, it was such a part of the culture when I was growing up. I remember my mom had um, some sort of appetite suppressant gummy things that she would have in the 70s. It was either that or X-Lax. Like, that was what, right? So, I mean, is it any wonder we are so messed up about this? And the diet industry is predatory. Oh, it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. And we we really need to start looking at that as like like with cocaine addiction, heroin addiction. You don't need cocaine and you don't need heroin to survive and live, right? But you do f- with food. So with food addiction, you know, we don't look at it the same way. And I think we really need to shift that perspective, which is you have to still eat every day. And you're asking somebody who's addicted to food and sugar to have that, just that natural control, mm-hmm. even though we would never expect that out of the alcoholic or the drug addict or whatever, you know, sex addiction, whatever, there's all these programs for that. And we just don't see it the same way. And I always say it's like, it would be like the heroin addict that has to go into the fridge every single day and there's heroin lined up on the, on the shelving, but he can only have just this little bit. Yeah, you can't get addicted to it, can't have too much, can't overdo it. Just, just you just gotta have a little bit. And and the one that's really weak, that's really not gonna make you feel that great on the dopamine side of things. <laughs> like brutal. Brutal. What a terrible thing to ask, right? Yeah. But this yeah. is where we are. This is where it's at. This is a great way to look at it because you're absolutely right. For um for people who struggle, uh, we still have to nourish ourselves every day. But how do we yeah. do that in a healthy way? Yeah, because even for me, like I remember thinking this last year, I was just like walking through the grocery store and I had PMS and was craving crap and was like, it's so hard when it's just everywhere, lining the shelves. Like it's so hard because you're tempted by it everywhere you go or the husband comes home and is like, oh, look, I brought cake home. Of course, I'm going to eat the cake. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, you did not. Of course I did. <laughs> or chips. Mine will go to the grocery store and come back with chips. I'm like, oh, dude, you can't. Dude, it's that weak. Salty, crunchy, greasy, man. And I can't be in the house. It cannot be in the house. You need to eat them right now or store them yeah, in your van. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That conversation has happened in this house more than once. Same. Yeah. It's like, why Why did you just bring that home? Now yeah. I have to eat it. Yes. Now, now I'm is, it's tempting. You, you spent money on it. Now I have to eat it. Yeah. So Karen, yeah. tell me, what did you figure out about yourself? Yeah. I, when the menopause thing hit, I went on a mission to figure out what happens during this time that makes us gain so much weight? Because you hear this, I'm sure you do all the time, mm-hmm. you know, from the woman that never had a weight problem her entire life and she hits menopause and gains 20 pounds in a year. And, and she's it's devastating. Like, it's devastating. Or even, you know, I have some clients that I had somebody yesterday. She's like, you know, everybody judges me for this. She said, but I'm five pounds heavier than I would normally want to be. And she's like, I'm 115 pounds. And she said, I know that that's small. She's like, I'm five feet. Yeah. She's Asian. She's yeah. supposed to, she's, she's used to being very tiny her whole entire life. She's yeah. gone through menopause and she put on five pounds and she said, I'm just not comfortable with that. And she said, everybody makes fun of me and says, well, how dare you even complain? She said, but for me, yeah, that's a it's- lot. Yes. And she's like, and I don't like it. And it's not where I'm comfortable. And it's like, yeah, who am I to judge? Right. Yeah. You're right. That's not where you're comfortable. And for myself, it was like, yeah, okay. I, you know, I was heavier than I'd ever been. And it was devastating for me. I was in this industry and I was like, how do I fix this Mm -hmm. so that I can then teach other women how to fix it for themselves? Yes. And I went on that mission of just like, let's find out everything we can about hormones and hormone replacement therapy. What can it do for us? How can it help prevent the weight gain? Why do we gain weight in menopause? And what we see is in a woman's late 30s, this is when we typically start to see the weight gain happen and it's slow and it's just a little bit. So what we'll see is like a five pound weight gain kind of out of nowhere. You're 38. You're like, oh, I didn't change anything. And I've got, got a couple pounds on me here. That is the start. And this is because in your late 30s, early 40s, progesterone plummets. And because we don't, we don't ovulate as often, we don't produce progesterone because we, we, can, we produce the majority of our progesterone after ovulation through the corpus luteum. So the less we ovulate, the less progesterone we make. We can make a little bit under the adrenal system, out of the spinal cord, but just small amounts. So when the naturopath or somebody tells you, just fix your adrenals and you'll fix your hormone levels, be careful of that advice because your body still doesn't make very much. It certainly helps the transition from perimenopause to menopause to watch Mm -hmm. the adrenal system because, yes, you can make some out of the adrenal system, which will help. But it's but not enough. It's not enough. Once those ovaries shut down, they shut down, and they are there's no amount of supplements, dieting, exercising that will bring back ovulation and bring back those very vital hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. We produce about forty percent out of the ovaries. So women, some women will continue to make plenty of testosterone well into menopause. But many women, especially nowadays, is getting more and more that we're just testosterone deficient as well. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. So once progesterone goes down, and if anybody listening tracked basal body temperature when they were trying to get pregnant, Mm -hmm. what you do is you wait, you take your temperature every day, and then on day 14, you're, you're looking for a temperature spike. And you want your temperature to go up and stay up for the rest of the cycle. And that means you ovulated and that you produce, you're producing progesterone. So what does that tell us? That tells us that progesterone has an impact on metabolic rate. Mm -hmm. So it comes up. It also affects thyroid function, which is your metabolism as well. And so both of those things, when progesterone goes down, thyroid function typically goes down. Now your metabolic rate doesn't get to go up. And so you're not burning fat as easily anymore. Progesterone in the right amount also helps us to be insulin sensitive. Too much can go the opposite way, but just that right amount can help us to be insulin sensitive. So that's why we see a little bit of weight gain. Also, progesterone, really important as an anti-anxiety. Mm-hmm. helps us to sleep. For brain health, so, yeah. yeah. Brain health, super important. You talk about yeah. this all the time. Mm-hmm. So without that, now we're not sleeping as well. And we know that when women don't sleep, well, anybody, man or woman, whatever, however you identify, if you're not sleeping, then your insulin and blood sugar will go up. So you become more insulin resistant the less you sleep. And literally one night of bad sleep, test your blood sugar in the morning. You'll see it that it's gone up. Mm-hmm. So one night of bad sleep raises blood sugar. So and you and if I you're know, not sleeping for a long time, now we know yeah, that yeah, insulin and, resistance. And you and I know sleep disruption is one of the top five, probably top three symptoms we see in perimenopausal women. Please go on, Karen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because progesterone acts on those GABA receptors of the brain, helps us to be calm, helps us to mm-hmm. sleep. And so if you're not sleeping, you've got anxiety, mm-hmm. <laughs> your metabolism's lower, do you think that you really want to eat the, you know, lean chicken breast on salad? Hell when no. you're insulin resistant, <laughs> your blood sugar is up, you're crabby, you're anxiety ridden, you're not sleeping. No, we don't want to okay. eat well. No. And you know, the thing is when I get the women that come in that I know are in this, this metabolic uh, dysfunctional loop, they come in and say, well, my libido's low. I don't feel like having sex. Can you fix it? And it's like, boo. There is so much more going on right now that we have to look at first. This is not just about that. And oh, by the way, when I hear that, I'm usually aware that um, the the female partner, because it's generally speaking heterosexual women that I'm seeing in my practice, the female partner is being made to feel bad about the fact that she just doesn't feel like having penis and vagina as intercourse or intercourse anymore as part of what she wants in the in the experience because it changes at midlife right some of us want to continue to have that and some of us don't but it's so like there's that's such a bigger conversation and so I'm always kind of amazed but then the the low progesterone plays a role and if there's estrogen declining then that's going to make us um uh, have vaginal dryness or have the atrophy or, or or we could have a number of other things going on with the actual like structure. So what yeah. you're talking about is like all the pre stuff, right? Like in, in order to feel good enough and feel relaxed and safe enough to have sex, you need to have 
the blood sugar doing the right things. You need to feel good about your body or at least tolerant of your body. You know what I'm saying, Karen? You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to feel, you don't want to have sex if you're crappy, anxiety, you're having slept, like, Hell no. It. no. No. And then on top of that, yeah, your vagina's drying up. You can't get lubricated. Your orgasms suck. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. that's a whole, like you said, it's this, is a, that's a whole, we could do a whole podcast on yes, that. Yes, we could. Yes, we could. Sexual thing that starts yep. to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. And I always say, if this happened to a man, yep. putting up with this, if a man's penis dried up and that if he had sex, it actually tore the skin and, oh, and he terrible. never wanted to have sex and never could get hard, would we just be like, oh, yeah, it's, this is just, you know, manopause. Don't worry. Everything's going to be just fine. Fine. Well, never. No, no. And I hear all these numbers about how easy it is to get Viagra and how many Viagra prescriptions have been yes. done over the last, what, 25 years. I'm like, where do they think all those hard dicks are going? Like, <laughs> we need to take care of the vaginas too. My God. Like, give me a break. <laughs> Exactly. Like, what are they thinking? What's the point of all the Viagra prescriptions if you can't get into the vagina? Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, I, I said something to my husband the other day about heavy bleeding and, and and how it's an interesting experience of late perimenopause for me. Yeah. And I was like, God, it's just so disruptive. This has been a fairly new sort of thing. You know how it is. The last, just so you know, whoever's listening, the last gasps of our menstrual cycle as we're starting to skip periods they can get heavier they can get longer your bleeds can get longer your cycles can get shorter all of that stuff can get just really loud before you actually have the stoppage of your menstrual cycle and lucky me that seems to be where I am but anyways I was saying something to him about it and he said dude if guys bled out the end of their dick every month and bled heavy like that, the world would shut down. I was like, I know. And yet we're expected to go ride a horse in our white shorts carrying our cute little Tampax in our pocket. Are you kidding me? White shorts. <laughs> exactly. So happy. Feeling so good. <laughs> carrying on with life. <laughs> yes. Oh, my it's God. It's fair. It's it, no, it really fair. is. That's what I mean by what I'm saying, like... In the beginning about the sexist piece to all of this, it's very prevalent. Like, yeah, it, it really it, is. Because this wouldn't, we would not put up with this if it was a man. Absolutely. And isn't it fascinating to see it now so clearly? I've been doing this work for 20 mm-hmm. years, and I'm even amazed at the things I couldn't see before. It's almost as if we were spellbound or as if there was like a curtain or a fog and we were not able to actually see things the way they were. I mean, if I'm going to get metaphysical on this for a second, right? It's almost as if we were on, we were, we had blinders to it and now we can really see it. And it's shocking. You said you had a, um, a client in the last week that talked about what their doctor said, misinformation about where the hormones come from. Uh, probably the, the last, out of the last, most recent conversations I've had uh, that stick out in my mind was I had an older patient who is well post-menopause, long, long time. And I said to her, I said, look, it's still possible that you could, you know, you could have hormones. There's a few things we have to look at. Do you think your doctor's open to it? And she said, I'm going to guess she's about 67 or 68, somewhere in there. And she said, I asked my doctor to prescribe me hormones when I was having lots of symptoms, hot flashes, et cetera. 
And his response was, I'll never forget it, Karen. He said, you don't want that. That's the bitch pill. Oh, isn't that show? No. Yeah. Oh my and he was God. talking about Premarin. He was talking about Premarin. So, um, and I was like, I, I mean, I, it's still, it's still, it's, it, it's still in my heart. Like she was very good humored about it, but this is the kind of thing my mother's generation um, had to put up with when women were pulled off their hormones. Turns out it was all, uh, oops, yeah. sorry. Actually, we've made a mistake. Yeah. And an yeah, entire generation is lost. for 20 years. Exactly. Yeah. An entire generation yeah. is lost because of that. So I want to come back to this weight loss thing for a minute um, and what mm-hmm. you learned because I, I want to, mm-hmm. you know, share as much of your wisdom with the listeners as possible. But um, also, uh, please check out the Hormone Solution podcast, which is Karen Martell's podcast. And it's fabulous. She has wonderful guests, including myself. Including Fiona. <laughs> Thank you. One of my favorite guests of all time. Thank you. Thank you. It was good fun. I remember that interview really well. It was last September, if I remember yeah. correctly. But um, yeah. so um, one of the things I think about a lot uh, when I visit my mom, who has dementia, she's advanced dementia mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the other women that are in her um, care home, and they're very well cared for, um, First of all, it's by far, it's mostly women in there, about 75%. And they're all about my mother's age, 79, 78, some of them a little bit older. And I think about how my mother went to her doctor to ask for help. And when she was 57 and had, was given an antidepressant. And I think now every time I see her, if she had been given a hormone patch instead, would we be where we are now? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. I've talked to her doctor who takes care of all the other ladies there too and, and, and gentlemen there too. And the doctor said, I've had the same thought many times. Oh, wow. Yeah. Many times. Which is amazing that he had that thought even. She she, she, she had that thought. And she's uh, early 40s, she told me. So she's younger okay. than me. But I'm glad to see that, that that thinking is happening. And uh, so we do know there are some really impressive numbers around the reduction in cardiovascular risk and brain health uh, improvement, reduction of Alzheimer's and os- mm-hmm. uh, osteoporosis, etc. when it comes to women in our generation now picking up uh, and taking the hormones. So what say mm-hmm. you about mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And when it comes to like, how does it help us with the weight loss? Well, there's the progesterone piece, but then as we get into the mid forties, now we start typically losing the estrogen, estradiol specifically. Mm-hmm. And when we start to lose estradiol, we become even more insulin resistant because estrogen is needed for glucose sensitivity in the system. It is it's the most powerful out of all the hormones is how it like drives that insulin sensitivity. So we need it. And as we start to lose it, we'll see almost most women will become to some degree insulin resistant if they don't replace their hormones. So I just need to stop you for a sec. This is huge what you've just said, which is basically that we 
with in the absence of an appropriate level of estradiol, we are going to have metabolic issues. Is that essentially another way of saying what you've just said? Oh, Karen's dropped off here. Here she comes. Hello again. So I heard you say, correct me if I'm wrong, I heard you say, in the absence of an appropriate level of estradiol, we cannot have good insulin sensitivity, which means that now we have metabolic issues, which means that Mm -hmm. now we're going to have difficulties staying in a healthy weight zone or keeping Mm -hmm. weight off. Did I hear that correctly? Correct. Yeah. That's and so huge. what we, that's huge. And what we see on blood work in women as they go through perimenopause and menopause, we see blood sugar going up. So their fasting glucose will go up, their fasting insulin will go up, their A1C goes up. And these are women that are extremely healthy. They're eating perfectly. They're exercising. They're like, what? Like, it happened to me. My, my blood sugar at a fasting was 4.5 my whole life. And then menopause hit and it jumped up to 5.5, which is like one point away from being insulin resistant. And I was like, what? No, I don't have blood sugar issues. Yes. Right? It was surprising. And then cholesterol also goes up. And so there, you know, women will be like, I've never had a cholesterol problem. I've never had a blood sugar problem. Why is this happening? It happens to men as well when they lose their testosterone. So we see in older people on lab work, like 90% of the time that there is some dysregulation in their lipid profile and their blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And so this is the hormonal loss piece. Mm -hmm. And so without our estrogen, we become insulin, more insulin resistant, and we are really susceptible to type 2 diabetes. There was a good paper done that showed um, women in menopause that went on hormone replacement therapy had a 45% reduction in developing type 2 diabetes. That is huge. That, huge and then you, you tie that with, with how heart it disease. helps to prevent heart disease, which yeah. is up there at that 50% yes. tile. Yeah. Um, dementia, we've got that new study that just came out of Arizona that showed women that replaced estradiol for, yeah. and I'm being really specific about what type of estrogen I'm talking about here, ladies, because yeah. estradiol is the one that is shown to help reduce diabetes, heart disease, osteoporosis, dementia, and Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's not yeah. estriol and not estrone, which are the other two estrogens mm-hmm. in the body. And we have a whole plethora mm-hmm. of hormone practitioners that are prescribing women biased, which is 80% estriol, 20% estradiol. And there's a problem with this because like I said, estradiol is our main estrogen is the most important. It's the mother hormone in my eyes, like testosterone for men, estradiol for women. Like this is, and it is so demonized out there and everybody thinks it's going to give them breast cancer, but go listen to Jen Simmons podcast on on this podcast and you will hear it does not cause breast cancer. Why in the world would God give us or whoever, whoever you believe in a hormone that we produce loads of through our fertile years, if it was going to give us breast cancer and kill us? Absolutely. Makes no sense. No. So really really think about that. Yeah, And so estradiol is the one that helps with the brain, helps with the glucose, 
helps with, it's a metabolic hormone. So yes, estrogen dominance gets so much press and everybody, every woman thinks she's estrogen dominant Mm -hmm. and thinks that she's overweight because she's estrogen dominant. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you, the loss of estrogen will cause more weight gain than an excess of estrogen. And that's because it affects your blood sugar. Say it again, please. The loss of estrogen will cause more weight gain than excess estrogen will. Okay, pause right there. So what I want you to hear from what Karen has just said is it is not your fault. It is not a loss of willpower, a lack of willpower. It's not because your calories in, calories speak. It's not because you can't keep your mouth shut. It's not because you haven't done enough exercising. Please, we need to put all of that self-blame and self-shame down. It's a very difficult place to heal from there. And I know all of that well. I was certainly raised in that culture as well. So just, just put it down. That's not healthy. We have better systems. We have science now that will show us this is how we can be at a healthy body mass for ourselves. By the way, BMI is bullshit. So just, I just need to put that out there because I said body mass and I'm like, I'm not talking about BMI. I mean, some can use it as a guideline. That's fine. But, but there's lots uh, like traditional medicine or Western medicine loves to use it as a whipping stick as far as I'm concerned, which I think is really unsavory and I'm being kind there. Okay. So thank you for that. That was super Mm -hmm. clear. So what's the remedy then if we're declining estrogen and we're having the difficult time with, with, with our metabolism, what's the remedy? Mm -hmm. Most practitioners I find will not prescribe estrogen until a woman is in menopause, which is considered one year after menstruation ends. Mm -hmm. And that is not the way to think about it. It's like saying to somebody that's got hypothyroidism or type one diabetes, like we're going to wait till you have none before we replace it. Yeah, Which actually absurd. they do do that with thyroid. But. Yeah, it's absurd to think of it that way. When you put it that way, it's yeah. crazy. Why do we do that? Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Please go on. We're holding back this hormone, this vital hormone that helps res- like ward off the main, number one killers of women. We know this, that women that replace their hormones have a reduction of all-cause mortality by like 33%. Mm-hmm. So we're better to replace hormones than not replace hormones, and yet we're holding them back and putting that fear in women, like, oh, no, don't you dare start estrogen until you're in menopause, and only just the littlest amount when it gets there, and for a short amount of time as possible, less than 10 years. All of that's wrong, you guys. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Even the North American Menopause Society came out last year and said, no, we're not putting a restriction on how long women can be on hormones anymore. It used to be for 10 years. Now they're saying you go ahead and take them for as long as you care to. Because they're so good for our health. Like these are vital hormones that help us to ward off disease. Anyways, if we could catch this earlier. So when I went, started going into menopause and when I say going into menopause, I mean, I was in like, in within months, I went into deep perimenopause where missing periods, the like really rapid weight gain, hot flashing like crazy, night sweats, Drive vagina, all that low sex drive. I had all of those. I had every symptom. Just mark it off for Karen. <laughs> it was like it was horrible. Like okay, we gotta just put you through everything. So then now you can help others. Okay. So 
At least you, at least you got the message. You got the message and you went, okay, I'm going to learn what I need to learn and share it. Please go Yes. On. And so I'm lucky enough that I have a friend who's my naturopath. And then I also work with a team of doctors who can prescribe in BC, Alberta, and every state in the United States. So I had help. And so I said, put me on estrogen now. And I was on a baby dose of estrogen from the time I was 42 and progesterone and thyroid. And then in the recent year, I went on testosterone because my testosterone dropped as well. So I'm 40, turning 48 this year. So I've been on hormone replacement. I still somewhat have a period. Like my period came back once I went on estrogen. So then I had a regular cycle for many years, thanks to that estrogen Felt amazing, had no symptoms, had to really work at the weight loss, but it did start to come off. So I started to, I increased my protein, which was really important. And for all menopausal women, we have to increase our protein as we age. It's really, really important. We have a more of a need for it because without testosterone, without estrogen, we start to lose muscle tissue. And so we need to increase that protein in order to keep that muscle tissue going. We need to lift heavy weights because that is your number one place that you process glucose is your muscle. 80%, it's the glucose tap, they call it. So we need to, like in menopause, it becomes the most important thing that you can do is increase protein and Yes, an animal protein. So sorry, vegans, but you know, it is better to do animal protein. It's the complete protein. Good source of it, you know, lift heavy weights and replace your hormones. And that's exactly what I did. And I just started to just, I didn't count, you know, my calories every day. I didn't go on any extreme diet because I knew that it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. I knew better from my past. Mm-hmm. And so I continued to eat paleo. I didn't go on any restriction diets. I just simply started to mind my body and go, okay, what does it need right now? I watched those hormone levels. I optimized my thyroid because it had dropped, you know, made sure the estrogen progesterone was where it was needed. And the weight started to come off. And I got down about 10 pounds, was was actually feeling really good. It was above still where I was comfortable at, where I had been at for 10 years. So 10 years, I was 128 pounds. I was now 138, but I was like, you know what? And I preach this all the time on my podcast. So I'm like, I got to practice what I preach, which is as we age, we do soften. And we need to be accepting of a few extra pounds of weight. And that's very normal. And your body puts on weight because it can make estrogen from fat tissue. And so I feel like our bodies, there's no, I don't have anything to back this up, but it's just my theory is we put weight on because your body wants to get estrogen somehow. And so that is a way it can get it. It makes estrone, which is an inflammatory estrogen and, and fat producing estrogen. It's made in the fat, but it's also fat producing, but estrone can convert to estradiol and both of them can convert down into estriol which is the weakest pregnancy form of estrogen. So just, yeah, back to that again. Pregnancy, why are we trying to, this is another sexist thing. Why are we trying to mimic pregnancy in menopausal women by giving them 80% estriol, which is the weakest form of estrogen? No, and it can make us insulin resistant, too much estriol. So once again, that just makes no sense. It's like giving the man DHEA and saying to him, he can't have testosterone because it can cause prostate cancer. We wouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what is the correct form of hormones to be given? 
is in like es- what kind of estrogen? Yeah, like what what mm-hmm. what um, what do you see work best with your okay. clientele in yep. terms of is it the patch? Is it the cream? Yep. Is it the yeah? Yeah. So everybody's different, but there is you know a consensus that obviously never do oral estrogen. That's becoming really popular right now. Unfortunately, like people like Avram Blooming is actually recommends oral oral estrogen. No, did he really? Oh, always has. He's uh. he's um he's got stocks or ownership in the pharmaceutical oral bioidentical estradiol. Oh boy. So it's not Premarin, but he even says uh. in if you listen to some of his older interviews, he even says like on Peter Atia's podcast. I'm pretty sure that's the one where he states the best form is Premarin. He actually says that. Hmm. I think he's now changed it to insane bioidentical oral estradiol, but there's a lot of companies now that are doing that. And we know that over time, it can increase your risk of heart attack and stroke. Mm -hmm. Still better than no hormones. And so Avram's thing is, that's where all, all of the majority of the research that you'll find on, on hormone therapy is been, has been done on Premarin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of yeah. it. For decades. So we have decades, decades of that. Yes. I mean, it was the number one most prescribed medication in the 1950s was um, Premarin. Mm-hmm. In North America, the number one most prescribed medication. Are you kidding me? That means that every woman was on it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you the WTI came out. <laughs> and you know, the, the makers of Premarin, Wyeth, I believe, had actually hired this really flashy guy to go around the country and tell women yep. and their doctors that um, they were they could avoid becoming dried up old hags. That was the terminology he used. Yes. in forever. There it is. Robert yes. A. Wilson. Look at how old this book is. <laughs> wow. And yes, he worked for the pharmaceutical that. company. Yeah. And it's hilarious with this book. Is it? It's so old fashioned. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh my in gosh. the kitchen. And yeah. <laughs> so it's, yes. it's a marketing thing. It becomes. A, yeah. And you know, unfortunately, we live in a world where um, profit drives policy and. Yep. Uh, and other things. And so that's what you're talking about. You're saying mm-hmm. um, that the people that should be advising us best are the ones that maybe are um, profiting from 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 things. I'm trying to be yeah. as, as, as yeah, politically as kind as possible. Yeah, because yes. Avram Blooming's fantastic. He's, he's changing oh, the, yes. the, the narrative for sure. And it is, like I said before, it's still better than no estrogen. Yeah. And if you look at the WHI study, we see that Premarin and the women that were on Premarin only in that study had a reduction in breast cancer cases. Yes. They had a reduction in, you know, type 2 diabetes. They they had the reduction of all-cause mortality. So mm-hmm. it's still of benefit. It's just mm-hmm. we have now bioidentical derived from plants. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're chemically made in a lab, but they originate from either the soy plant or a yam. Mm-hmm. And it's bioidentical transdermal. So now it doesn't have to go through the first hepatic pass of the liver, right? Yep. If you swallow estrogen, it's going to convert majority of it to estrone, which remember yes. I just said, the fat producing inflammatory yep. estrogen is estrone. And, and then it raises the risk of heart of attack and yeah. stroke and clots. Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, why would we? 
Yes, if we exactly. don't have to. We know better. We know better now. We know better. Well, and you said earlier that, um, you know, the, the NAMS came out and said, listen, we do not have to restrict women at the over the age of 60 from continuing to take hormones. This is the North American Menopause Society. Um, and they said that that was their statement last year. And I remember when I read that, I thought, this is fascinating. So I went to my patients and I started to ask them questions. The, win- the women who are in their 80s who are really vibrant and healthy and sharp, and every single one of them did not stop their hormones in the early 2000s when their doctors told them to. So even though some of them are still taking the primer and they weren't switched over, they're still so much healthier. And Mm -hmm. then, then a lot of that lost generation, my mother's generation. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to make these observations, um, you know, looking at, at it myself, but I mean, there's so much information around that. Okay. So back, let's, let's, you and I could talk about type of delivery. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) The truth is this podcast could go on for days. (laughs) It really could. It really, it really, could. really could. Especially if we start talking about the brain. That's it. We're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're, we're going to have to get food delivered. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Someone's going to have to. We're in lockdown. <laughs> Yona and Karen. Like, why did we not know this boss. back in 2020? Like, we could right? have had a good time with it. Yes. Okay. Right? We could have had yes. started our own YouTube channel of, like, all the hormone things, right? Yeah. So estradiol, we yes. want to start it as we start to lose it. Now, estradiol goes on this, like, crazy roller coaster ride in perimenopause. Well, you'll have months where it's high. Like, Fiona, you were saying, like, Sometimes you're bleeding super heavy, so this yeah. is probably the months that your your estrogen might be fluctuating high, and then we'll see it crash down, and, and then you'll miss a period, and then you'll have a really late period. That was last like, fall. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, there you go, right? Yeah. I went through it, too. And like, yeah. month after month, you didn't know what was coming. No. And so putting in no. that little bit of estrogen can help that ride. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Because yeah. I asked my, uh, my hormone provider recently, I said, at what point... Do we start supplementing estrogen? Yeah. And she said, I want to see you closer to actually your menopause before we start. So she looked at the numbers though. She's looking at the numbers, but it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting conversation because there's so many different opinions here. And um, you know, you and I look at the research, we know what's coming. And um, I'm just grateful personally to have somebody that listens to me and will prescribe mm-hmm. for me. So yeah, you me know, too. I'm grateful. so grateful because you and I talk to women all day long that try to get the help mm-hmm. and either are gaslit or disregarded by their doctor. Still, why is that still going on? My God. The majority of it is that's what's happening. Yes. Yeah. But doctors are not like, this is something else we have to keep in mind, especially Canadians is, and I say Canadians because we have free healthcare. Mm -hmm. And so very few Canadians I find are willing to spend the money Mm -hmm. to get the help that they actually need when it comes to their hormones. You have to remember, it doesn't matter where you're at in the world, medical doctors I have read that 7%, 0 to 7% of medical doctors are taught something about menopause. So <laughs> keep that in yeah. mind. And they are taught nothing about bioidentical hormones. 
Nothing. They no. they have to go pay out of pocket to get training in bioidentical hormones. So do you really think your family doctor is going to pay hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to go get training in bioidentical hormone therapy for his small subset of menopausal women that he has in his practice that he sees for literally minutes yeah. in his office? Yeah. yeah. No. no. And so we have to go out, like, for sure, try with your doctor, but then go outside and find yourself somebody that understands you know, whether it's me or Fiona or it's yep. somebody else that understands there's people out there that get it, that yeah. understand hormones. And that's what you want to do. And you want to spend the money on it because guess what, ladies, this can be 10 plus years of your life of suffering, like immense yes. suffering for some yes. women. Yes. And why are we tolerating And then that? for the rest of our life, it's half of our life. Do we not want to <laughs> feel our best? We do. Of course. Is that not of worth course. the money? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. 100%. I know I, we, in this household, we pay out of pocket. We have private care for our uh, hormone provider and our GPs. She's interesting. She wants to know what the hormone provider is, who's a nurse practitioner for us here in, in Alberta, what she is prescribing and she's watching oh, and learning. So again, there are great GPs out there, but they're just not taught. Yeah. I heard it said recently, the gynecologists even get 20 hours or less in yeah. all of their training oh, on menopause, yeah. it by yeah. far goes to the uh, obstetrics. And, yeah. and, and don't think an endocrinologist gets any. Oh, no, no. But people the think, oh, I'm going to go see an endocrinologist or a gynecologist. Those two, they're like, oh, I'll be fine. I'm going to go see my gyno or I'm going to go see no. my endocrinologist. I'm like, no, they no. don't know you, anything. If you've got Graves' disease, maybe. Okay. But yes. that's not Or type likely. 1 diabetes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Very, very true. Okay. Yeah. So I, okay. here's a question I have. You said at one point earlier in this conversation that when progesterone is optimized, insulin sensitivity is in a, there's a zone. So, there's but you zone. can go too much and too little. Yeah. But yeah. as is so often the case, it's always the case with hormones. It's like a seesaw. This is what I tell my yes. patients. Like yeah. high levels of estrogen can cause similar symptoms to low progesterone. Yeah. Yes. So you need to yeah. look at these things, right? And see yeah. exactly. You don't guess on this stuff. So no, my, no. so tell us a little bit about what that optimal zone of progesterone is, please. So when it comes to all the hormones, you ha everybody has to understand that the sweet spot is going to be different for each of you. A lot of it has to come down to genetics. So some of us are born more estrogenic, some are born more androgenic. And I always use my sister and I as an example. I was born estrogenic, which means I've like since day one, I had boobs, I got hips, I had my period early. I was always had like suffering with, you know, I never had like the perfect physique and I was always prone to weight gain. And um, I had the endometriosis, ovarian cysts. So all these, I had estrogen dominance. Mm -hmm. I am very estrogenic. And so had you looked at my labs at 42, when I was heading into menopause, you would have seen that, yeah, my FSH was a little bit elevated. You know, it was, I think, 14 or something. And then my estrogen was actually in okay range. It was on the low side, but it was in range. I was having horrible symptoms of estrogen loss. And so for me, a little drop in my estrogen made me really estrogen deficient with the symptoms. Like I was having all of the symptoms of having almost no estrogen, but on my labs, I had some. 
Now, my sister never had a problem with weight. She's a total sugar fiend. She, she can sit down and eat an entire cake to herself, and yet she has stayed this tiny little wiry little thing with no hips, straight up and down, muscles without ever having to lift weights, like wiry. She, loses, she starts to lose testosterone, and she feels it because she depends on her testosterone to feel the way she does and to look the way she does. She can, she, her estrogen drops, she doesn't even notice. So a lot of it comes down to how are you feeling? So Fiona, for you, if you were my, my client, I would say, number one, let's look at your labs. We always want to look at labs, but you know, what's your FSH doing? If your FSH is above 20 Mm -hmm. and you still have a period the way you do right now, I would put you on estrogen because we do see in the research that women that get to above 20, I think it's 23, above 23 on their FSH, it does show a correlation to weight gain. And we know that that is your sign that you are headed into menopause. If your FSH was below 10 and you're having like some missed periods, but you're not, you know, you're not having hot flashes, you're not having weight gain, then I wouldn't put you on estrogen, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So it really comes down to the FSH somewhat, and mm-hmm. how are you feeling and the lab markers too? Like if you had an excess of estrogen, then I would be like, no, I don't think it's the estrogen that's causing the problems. It would maybe be your progesterone or testosterone or something else, thyroid maybe. So it's really individual. Um, progesterone, I typically see that women can start replacing progesterone from 35 onward yeah, because that's when we start to see it going down. Mm-hmm. And progesterone, when you get too much of it, you know, I just had somebody text me yesterday. I just came up with my own line of hormone creams in the United States. So they're over the counter in the States, not in Canada, unfortunately, but I have a progesterone cream. And my girlfriend was like, I I want to try it. I want to try it. I said, sure, I'll send you a bottle. She texted me yesterday. I can't stop crying and I'm really depressed. <laughs> Do you think it could be the progesterone? She's 38. Yes. I said, yes. yes, 100%. Stop your progesterone. In two days, you'll feel fine. She's yeah. like, oh, thank God. She's like, I can't stop crying. <laughs> because too much yeah. will make you very depressed, weepy, water retentive. And most doctors are prescribing oral progesterone right now, which is fantastic, but it's almost like it's two different drugs. Because when you swallow it, that's not the natural way your body takes on progesterone. So when we make it in the system, it's not having to go through the first hepatic path of the liver and through the digestive system. When you're taking it orally, it does. Mm -hmm. And that produces about 80% of that pill is going to turn into progesterone metabolites, which are the very anti-anxiety, helps with sleep drug then about 20% stays as actual progesterone. So when you take progesterone topically, you'll get a little bit as metabolites, but majority of it does stay as progesterone too. So you get more of the actual progesterone. Mm -hmm. And so oral doesn't show up, no, does show up in serum labs. Topical doesn't. So a lot of doctors are under the belief that topical progesterone doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And it does. I mean, we only use topical progesterone forever Mm -hmm. in the first, Mm -hmm. like from that Dr. John Lee, it was all topical progesterone. I've been on topical progesterone for 10 years. Yeah, It has absolutely protected my uterus. I would know if it wasn't. And Mm -hmm. I work with tons of women with topical progesterone. It definitely works. Anyways, the oral progesterone 
there is a growing number of women that are sensitive to oral progesterone and doctors don't know about it. Mm-hmm. And so the starting dose is typically 100 milligrams. Mm-hmm. That tends to be okay. And then, but we're starting to see, you know, 300. I've had women that were on, put on 400 milligrams That's of oral high. progesterone. Yeah. That's high. Yeah, and there's high. actually a Canadian researcher. This is the only paper that I've been able to find on it. Canadian researcher who saw that past 150 milligrams of oral progesterone could cause breast inflammation and mm. increase your risk of breast cancer. Mm, so we just to lean on the side of safety, I always mm-hmm. say, you know, let's not go past that 200 mark at least. Yep. And just for women to be aware that there is something called progesterone sensitivity that comes from oral progesterone because it it um the way it acts on the GABA receptors, it's like GABA receptor sensitivity it's called. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that happens to women that have PMDD, mm, yes. premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Yeah. It is a GABA receptor sensitivity. And so it's their body can't handle that mm-hmm. action on those GABA receptors. And so they get severe PMS prior when they start to produce progesterone in their cycle. Mm-hmm. And some women will get this from oral progesterone. Interesting. And so if you get like that... That feeling, because I have, I'm, I'm one of the few people that talk about this. Mm-hmm. And so I've done a lot of podcasts on it. And then I have all, so every time I do, I have all these women reach out. That's me. My doctor mm-hmm. just said to take more. My doctor said, I just have to get used to it. Yeah. And I'm just dying over here. I'm yes. crying. Yes. I'm depressed. I'm tired. And I'm like, yeah, switch to topical. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's even too much. And they have to actually do suppository. Yeah. So yes, just keeping that. that, you know, when we're talking about Mind. delivery form, oral's mm-hmm. great, especially if you've got insomnia and anxiety with your menopause and perimenopause. Great, give it a go for sure. But just be aware that that can happen, and topical typically doesn't cause mm. those problems. But topical is an option. Yeah. And I usually say around twenty-five to fifty milligrams mm-hmm. with the oral. We go from a hundred to two hundred. Two hundred tends to a lot of the time be too much and cause too much fatigue the next day. Mm-hmm. And then testosterone, um, the best way is actually injectable testosterone. We see it rise, raising the levels better than topical. And with mm-hmm. topical testosterone, you typically, you typically need a higher dose. Mm-hmm. So we'll start at like 5 to 10 milligrams a day of testosterone cream. Rather, with the injectables, you can do like 10 milligrams to 20 milligram once a week injection. I see. So a lot less. And I so see. it's just, and it raises the levels a lot better for, for a lot of women. And topical mm-hmm. can actually make it so that you grow hair where you rub it, the testosterone cream. Mm-hmm. So that's, those are my like preferred. And then with estrogen, patch, cream, vaginal suppositories. And if you have absorption issues through the skin, which some women do, very small percentage, then we actually can do injectable estradiol once a, oh, once a day injections. And those, some women, the women that do have to do them, they love them. Yeah. Because they finally feel their estrogen. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. fascinating? You know, mm-hmm. I've seen um, this, this might be a little bit uh, uh, controversial, but you know, I'm not afraid of it. I know I sense you are not either. So here we go. I have seen, you're like, I don't know, what are you going to bring up? I have seen recently younger women. So women in their thirties and maybe even early forties saying, I want to prevent or avoid menopause altogether. Mm-hmm. 
And I've seen this come up a few times and I've seen some very big media talk about it. And first of all, I think that's fascinating. And second of all, do you think it's possible? No, we can't a hundred, we cannot avoid menopause. Every single woman out there right now will lose ovarian function. 100% of you. But what you can do is you can do something called physiologic restoration or the Wiley protocol, which is the closest thing that mimics a woman's natural cycle cycle in her 20s and also mimics the levels of hormones in her 20s. And then you will get a period every month like you did, but it's a faux period. You're just using enough estrogen and progesterone to build up a uterine lining and to shed it. Now, in the research, we see that women need to get estradiol above 65 to get bone protection from osteoporosis. When I get a woman's levels to that safety place. And that also is, that's what's best for the Alzheimer's, dementia, heart disease. Like this is, and this is still a lot less than what we see in a fertile woman. Just keep that in mind. So this isn't an excess. We're still talking like maybe a milligram a day, maybe two milligrams a day of estradiol. But when they get into that range, we're talking picograms per milliliter, which is different than Canadian measurements. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Typically, we will get a little bit of a bleed from that, from getting into that level. So a lot of women, and I also cycle my progesterone in menopausal women because naturally that's what we do. So if you were to take estrogen and progesterone every single day, you won't, you likely won't get a bleed. But if you cycle your progesterone, which you should because it's better for the receptor health of estrogen and progesterone, then when you stop that progesterone for whether it's a week to two weeks, you will likely get a little bit of a bleed if your estrogen is in that therapeutic level. Mm, So I think that that's probably what those women were talking about is like, let's just continue cycling. And so a lot of them are doing this like physiologic restoration of hormones where they're giving their body different amounts every day and they're having the estrogen peak and the progesterone peak. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, they're mimicking, but you cannot stop menopause. You can't stop Mm -hmm. ovarian dysfunction. I find it fascinating, uh, you know, maybe because I was in very much in the era of women taking the birth control pill continuously to not get their periods. Yes. Isn't this such a fascinating pivot? I know, I know. Listen, the only time I've ever heard that was even remotely justified in my opinion for myself, so you do whatever makes you happy, boo, right? But... um, I remember hearing there was a patient I had early on in my career when she was going to do a mission in the jungles of Africa for four months. And she's like, I have no idea what kind of sanitation is going to be happening. So I'm just taking that pill and I'm not going to take it. I was like, you know, I actually think that's justified. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's sort of like the woman who told me she carried her own antibiotics into a similar situation because she was a repeat UTI-er. Um, so she's like, I am not even messing around. I'm just taking it just in case. Because if you've ever had a UTI, then you know you have to get medical attention pretty darn fast. And um, it can be kind of scarce on the ground in some parts of the world. So, But that's yeah. about the only time I was like, okay, yeah, I think I'd do the same thing. I don't get it. I totally get it. 
Oh my God, you and yeah, I can talk I forever. Do too. I love this. Yes. And I do want to mention, like, I want to finish my my personal yes. story because I want to give hope to your listeners. Please do. Please do. And I'm Which sorry. Is, I'm oh my God. No, no, you didn't. I, I went off on a totally different tangent. It was my fault. But like we said, we could we could do this all day long. Um I discovered a year and a half ago the GLP-1 medic- peptides. And I, on my podcast, I interviewed some peptide experts, and it was super convincing. So I was like, I'm going to give this a try. I mean, I'm, I had the type of body my whole life that I felt like no matter what I did, I, I could never get down past 128 pounds, which I'm only 5'3", you know, so I was still curvy at that weight. Mm-hmm. Um but I would, it would just my body. What it would take to get down farther would have been like grueling. I would have. I don't even think I could have. Mm-hmm. And I was at 138 pounds, and I was getting comfortable with that, and going, okay, I think this is where I'm going to be at. Then this is this is fine. This is okay. I can deal with this. I had lots of muscle. I was feeling good. My symptoms were gone. And then I was like, well, I'll just give this a go. I'll give it a try. So I got Ozempic because that's all that was available in Canada at the time. Mm-hmm. Had the worst experience of my life with it for the first month. Um, nonstop migraines, super sick to my stomach, didn't lose a single pound, even though I barely ate. So I'm like, okay, not worry. I'm going to be the non-responder, of course, right? So I was like, forget it. I'm done. Yeah. And then I, um, I got connected with a peptide company out of the United States who was selling trisepatide. Now, that is available just as of last October in Canada, mm-hmm. also known as Monjaro. Mm-hmm which is really expensive if you don't get it covered. And if you're in the United States, it's ridiculous. It's like $1,400 a month. Yeah. And so I got it through a peptide company that was $170 US a month instead. Mm-hmm. So much less, gave it a go. And lo and behold, no symptoms, felt absolutely fantastic. And I dropped 15 pounds in a couple of months. And I was like, this is insane. And it was so easy. And I felt so amazing on it. And I was like, I can't believe this. And so then I decided I got to bring it to my perimenopausal and menopausal women, because unfortunately, even when you're doing it all right, you know, you're prioritizing protein, you're lifting your weights, you're replacing your hormones, you're watching the hormones. There are still many women that can't lose the menopausal weight. It can be the most stubborn weight to lose. And some women, when they start hormones, they'll actually gain weight rather than lose weight. It can kind of go either way or they stay the same. Um, typically, if they're gaining, it's they're not metabolizing things properly. Their body isn't taking it on right. So there's things that you can do, but it still doesn't seem to be this like magic, even though that's what caused the weight gain, it doesn't seem to be a magic cure and drop all the weight really easily. Sometimes I'll have the woman that's like, she starts hormones and it just falls off and it's like, great. But a lot of the time it doesn't. And so for the women that are like super stuck, we know now that there's been so much research on these medications. There is a lot of negative press about them and a lot of practitioners, I think, like I saw Mark Hyman recently talk about it and they're they're really just pointing out all the anything bad about it that they can find mm-hmm. because it takes money out of their pocket, mm-hmm. right? If somebody's in the health industry, in the weight loss industry, that can take money out of their pocket because mm-hmm. this is 
finally, we have a weight loss drug that actually works, that doesn't cause long-term issues in 99% of the people that take it. We know that it helps reduce heart disease by 20%, that it helps reduce Alzheimer's, dementia. These are all sugar-driven diseases. Yes. Helps with fatty liver disease and metabolic disease. I mean, metabolic disease is part of all of these things that also are the number one killers in men and women. Mm-hmm. So GLP-1s, terzepatide, Monjaro, Ozempic, um, semaglutide is the mm-hmm. peptide. They've been around, semaglutide has been researched for over t- for 12 years now. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's some new drug on the market. Mm-hmm. 12 years and millions of people and really good studies and people are like, oh, this is going to kill people or this is going to be this horrible thing. And I'm like, just a second, folks. Did you all not just take a vaccine that was researched for three months mm-hmm. and injected mm-hmm. into your body? Mm-hmm. And here we have something that's been around for over 10 years. The safety profile is incredible. Mm-hmm. Less than 1% of people have stomach paralysis, which is the newest one on the block for fear mongering. Less yes. than 1%. Well, I'm sorry, but what is the risk of heart attack or heart disease right now? Mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah. One in four women are going to die yeah. of heart disease. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. And so here's something that helps reduce that risk. It is the weirdest thing because you take this peptide and it shuts down all food noise in your brain. You don't care to eat the sugar. You don't care to eat the sweet stuff, the carbs. You just want to eat healthy, really. Like you don't have any desire to have the bad stuff. You don't overeat because you get full faster. And then it does help with your metabolism and it it does slow down the transit of food, which I don't think is the best thing, but that also goes away the longer that you're on it. Mm -hmm. Also, if you come off of it, if you're at a weight that is new to you, like which I am now, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was telling you before we started, I I weigh 120 pounds right now. I haven't weighed 120 pounds since I was probably 14. Yeah, wow. So that's not, and it's not too skinny. Like I said, I'm Mm -hmm. 5'3". I'm very short. Like, I don't think I look like I'm gone or anything, right, Fiona? No, no, I'm looking and no. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Yep. And and so that is not a normal weight. 128 is my normal. So if I had gone down to 128, stayed there for a bit, taking the peptides, waited for it to kind of set my new set point, I could have come off of it and I probably would have remained at 128 because that's normal for me. Mm -hmm. But because I went down to 120... I will have to probably take a maintenance dose mm-hmm. for unforeseeable time. Yeah. It does help with insulin sensitivity, which I really like. So it helps with hot flashes and night sweats and inflammation. It lowers the inflammation. It can even, they say it can lower pain in the body even. Yeah, something about... interesting. Yeah, something about the, uh, uh, the action on the brain. Really fascinating. Yeah. And yeah. it's also, I've heard... Uh, people that struggle with addictions of all kind, actually. Yes. Can, you've heard that too, whether it's cigarettes yeah. or shopping alcohol, or gambling, uh, yeah. alcohol, you you name it. So again, it's working on different parts of the brain. Um, you know, we understand its mechanisms very well. Like you said, the research is robust. It's not new. It's been around forever. Uh, some glutide I'm talking about now specifically. Um, but... Um, you know, the, the, the safety is not in question, but you know, it's like, it's like all things, uh, the media has to freak out about it. And <laughs> well, I know. they're saying, Oh, you're taking the easy way out. And I'm like, you know what? Exactly. You, I have been 
working on my weight for 27 years now. There's no easy Probably longer, actually. Exactly. (laughs) Over 30 years. I've put the work in. I've put the time in. Guess what? I'm going to take the easy way. Yeah, exactly. Even if you didn't work at it, why not? What did Oprah say? Like, this helps. Yes, absolutely. Anything that helps, right? What did Oprah say about it recently? She's done with... When she was talking about whether or not she was taking it, she said, I'm done with it being difficult or something like that. And I thought, yes. you know, good for you for putting that out yeah. there. And and actually she did, um, if you're a member of the uh, Oprah Daily, she did um, a talk with a bunch of obesity experts last fall. And mm-hmm. it was really a fascinating conversation. And we're getting a lot kinder about this conversation. We're getting a lot um, more informed, more research and evidence-based and saying like, for a lot of women, this insulin problem, the metabolic disease is an actual legit thing. This is not a matter of too many calories in all of that. And how can we treat it better? And I, mm-hmm. I, it seems to me that the the GLP one medications are so uh, are are part of that conversation for sure. I think so too. And I just think like I watched like so I started my own peptide group where I give women access to a private dashboard where they can order their peptides themselves for this discounted, lot less price. Mm-hmm. And then I show them how to do it and how to use it, et cetera. And we have this amazing community. There's about 180 women in it. And then in my other hormone group, we also put the peptide information in there as well. So between the two groups and my private clients, I probably have about 300 plus women on these medications at this point. And when you when you hear back from them, it, like, it brings tears to your eyes because these women are like, oh my God, for the first time in my life, I don't have food noise in my brain. Oh, yeah. Like, do you know how what relief this is? And mm-hmm. I just did a whole podcast about my own experience with it last week. And I tell the pros and cons of it. And because um, there is, it's not all good. There is some bad to it too. Um, and one of the things I noticed for myself was not, I hadn't realized just how much of my thoughts con- were consumed by my eating behavior. Right. I, I always thought like, oh, I kind of have it in check. I don't have a lot of sugar addiction. I eat healthy, but I was always still tallying in my mm-hmm. brain. Like before I would eat, it would be like, should I eat this or should I not eat this? Is this good for me? Is it not good for me? Yeah. Is it like, you know, like, and just always questioning and, and stressing about it. Like yes. when the husband would bring home the cake, I'd be like, should I, you know, and just how much of that you know, and just body dysmorphia I had too. I didn't realize how bad it was. Like I thought I had it under control, Mm -hmm. but now that I've lost the weight and how much I fear it coming back and just how much I, I realized like I, that I didn't talk very nicely about myself to myself. And I've, and this really shone a light on all of that stuff that I hadn't realized was there. And so it's been tough. This is a super important conversation because I do believe, especially for our generation and the older ones too, I don't know if the youngsters are doing better with this, but regardless, we were taught this whole behavior of self-shaming and and you don't even realize it's so 
insidious. It's so it's so there mm-hmm. without you realizing just how unkind you've been. And actually, when I was watching Oprah have this conversation with the obesity experts, she was talking about this food noise conversation. And I can't remember the numbers she shared, but the 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 number of searches on TikTok every month for the hashtag food noise was millions and millions. And so, again, this is a really important conversation. So um, where can people find out more about the peptides that you're talking about, please? So if you go to karenmartel.com, we've got two group coaching um, groups. One of them is just for the weight loss peptides, which is low cost, because once you get in, you have to pay for the peptides out of, you know, separately. Um, and then the other one is a hormone um, support group for perimenopausal and menopausal women. So if you want help with your hormones as well as getting access to peptides, then you would go into that, which is called On Track. The other one is just called Women's Weight Loss Peptide Group. Cool. It's very straightforward. You'll, you'll understand it if you go to the website okay. and see it. Okay, yeah. very good. Yeah. And that's where yeah. people want to find out more about you. That's where you'd send them to, karenmartel.com? Yep. yep. Exactly. Okay. Karen Martell.com, Karen Martell Hormones on social media, and then the Hormone Solution Podcast is, of course, one of the best places to find me at. Yes. <laughs> I get that. I love your podcast. It's fantastic. The amount of information you're sharing with, with I women love is yours. I've listened to yours forever. Thank you. I know I've been yeah. doing it a really long time. It's amazing to me sometimes. Anyways, um, This is a question I like to ask all my guests uh, as we wrap. And the question is this, knowing what you know now, what would you tell your younger self? Oh, so many things. I feel. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Oddly enough, this is what popped into my head. I would tell myself to quit drinking sooner than I did. Mm-hmm. which has nothing to do with the conversation that we had today, but I was an alcoholic and I quit drinking uh, 16 years ago. And I wish I would have stopped sooner because it was one of the best things I ever did for myself. And a lot of the really horrible things that happened to me in my life happened when I was drinking. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, so, that's yeah. some wisdom right there. That's some wisdom. Yeah. But congratulations on your sobriety. Thank you. <laughs> It. it really is good. We've got to honor these things. We really do. Yeah. And it's a difficult, a, a difficult thing to do no matter what. So yeah. Karen, I just want to thank you for your expertise. I want to thank you for the brilliance that you bring to women and the help, assistance and comfort you bring to your community and to all the women, a billion of us around the world that are in this transition in some way or form, way, shape or form, and we have the ability to reach out to you to say, help me, I feel lost. So thank you for that, Karen. I so appreciate your genius. Right back at you, Fiona. Jeez. <laughs> and I'm glad that, you know, I feel like we're these little tiny you know, sometimes I feel like we're huge. And then a lot of the time I just feel like we're this little tiny voice because there's still so many women that don't know the information that we're trying to provide. And I just, I wish more and more and more people would hear about it and listen to our podcasts and um, just get the help that they need. I mean, I'm lucky I've teamed up with doctors that I can 
I'm myself, I'm not a physician, but I work with people that can prescribe in every state and in BC and Alberta for hormones. And I feel like we're doing it right, but we're just a drop in the bucket. Like when it needs to grow more, we need to get the word out there. And so I'm, I'm happy to connect with women, like women, like myself with you. So that's great. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And we are making a difference, even if it's just a few people, yes. we are yeah. making a difference, <laughs> but we are, I know it feels like, especially with something as big as women's health, there's just so much to learn, so many people to help. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're making our mark. We're doing what we can. So again, thank you for what you've brought to the stage. And I so appreciate the time today, Karen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The views and nutritional advice expressed by Dr. Fiona Lovely are not intended to be a substitute for conventional medical service. If you have or suspect that you have a medical problem, promptly contact your healthcare provider. No information offered here should be interpreted as a diagnosis of any disease, nor an attempt to treat or prevent or cure any disease or condition. As with any new advice or program, you should always contact your healthcare provider prior to starting anything new. Thank you.